0: You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Awesome. Well, good morning once again, Radiant Church. So good to see all of you. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us. Leave a comment, hit that like button, share the video on your live stream or on your newsfeed. I should say. Help us to get the word out. Well, this morning, listen, we are in part number three. This is our final installment of our Seek series, 21 Days of Praying and Fasting. And as Marcus said, today is day 15. So this is the last sermon of the series. But listen, I hope and pray that you will continue praying, seeking the Lord. If you haven't fasted and abstained from food, pick a day, pick a day or two, skip a lunch, skip a breakfast, and pray instead, and watch how God will meet you in that moment. But this series is something that we do every single January. We've been doing this from our inception, from the very beginning when we planted the church in 2017. And the Seek is all about recalibrating our hearts to the things of God. Holidays get busy. It gets, they get crazy from one party to the next, and gifts and whatnot. And listen, Seek is an opportunity for us to slow down a little bit, just to breathe and relax. And again, prioritize the things in our lives that are according to the Lord and offer Jesus our first part of the new year. Well, today I want to begin by talking about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, this is a very familiar uh, prayer for a lot of us, I'm assuming in the room. If you don't know the Lord's Prayer, it's okay, I'll introduce you to it. But I grew up on the Lord's Prayer. I don't know about you, but I grew up actually reciting the Lord's Prayer. I grew up as a good Catholic or uh, actually a bad Catholic, but don't tell my mom that. Um, and so I, <laughs> I grew up reciting the Lord's Prayer. And I'll be honest with you, it was something I simply said out of ritual and from memory. It was not necessarily a prayer that I said from the heart. Hope that makes sense to you. Now, I've come to understand that Jesus didn't intend it to be something that we just simply mindlessly recite. That that wasn't the intentions of the Lord's prayer. Jesus didn't have that in mind. Rather, what Jesus had in mind was a pattern, a type of prayer with elements that we can include in our own lives as we approach God, as we go to God in prayer each and every day. So, less about just wrote memory, and more about, actually, elements that we include in our daily lives of prayer. Now, if you're here and maybe you recite the Lord's Prayer, that's what you do, that's all you do, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not here to, like, dog on you, Okay, So don't take offense to that. But I will say this, um, there's way more than that. There's much more than that than just simply reciting it from memory and then sort of moving on with life. I want to introduce you to some of those things this morning. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. This is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to begin it in verse number 5 because when we begin in verse number 5, it gives us a little bit more context, and context is key when it comes to interpreting Scripture. We must use context. That is very, very important, and we're going to go all the way to verse number 13, again, Some of this portion of Scripture will be very familiar with you. If you're new to Radiant, if you're new to the way that we do church, um, this may be new, but I'll teach along the way, give you instruction and help you understand everything we're going through. So let's begin in Matthew chapter 6. Verses will be behind me. I would love for you to follow along beginning in verse 5. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. Jesus is talking. He says this, And when you pray... It's when you pray, not if you pray. I want you to notice that. When you pray, you're going to pray. You should pray. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. So they're doing it to show off, right? Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Next verse says this, but when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will, here's the word, reward you. He will reward you. We talked about this secret place in part number one of our series. If you weren't here for that, go back on YouTube, download the podcast, and you can listen to part number one, the secret place. He will reward you. Let's keep going says this and when you pray do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him let's keep going this then is how you should pray jesus says this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, Your Father will not forgive your sins. That's sobering words from the mouth of Jesus. I'm going to take a few moments. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to dive into the rest of what God would have for us as we open up his word. Let's pray together, church. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you so much for the work that you're doing here in and through this ministry, God. Thank you for changing lives through the ministry of Radiant Church. God, thank you for the church as a light to a dark world, God. Lord, would you um, meet with us as we meet with you? God, would you open up blind eyes and unlock deaf ears? Soften hearts that are hardened today, God. Would you draw men to you and women to you and children to you as we lift up the name of Jesus? We pray today, God, that those of us here who are brokenhearted, that you would mend broken hearts. We pray that you would offer encouragement to those who need courage today. We pray that you would give peace to those who are caught in the middle of chaos and turmoil. Father, give them a peace that transcends all human understanding. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray, God. God, and again, draw us near to you as we open your word. We thank you, God, for we know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Father, heavenly lights, the one who does not change or waver. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, I know that many of us are familiar with the Lord's prayer. And because of that, when we read the Lord's prayer, um, sometimes we turn our brains off, you know what I mean? And we read it and we're like, okay, big deal. I've heard this before as a child. I recited this when I was, you know, seven years old, eight years old, whatever it might be for you. And we often sort of tune out the words of Jesus. So this morning, what I want to do for you, and it might be new for some of you, is I want to break the Lord's Prayer into four parts, okay? Four parts, four segments. And then what I want to do for you is this. I want to give you a practical application question with each segment, okay? So here's what it's going to look like. Four parts of the prayer, four practical application questions that we can take and we could ask of ourselves as we pray on a daily basis. This will be incredibly practical and yet I and when I say simple it doesn't mean it's dumb. It means it's it will be in a way that you'll understand it. Hopefully it will be profound in the sense that maybe you'll grasp some new things that you've never seen. Here's what I want to do. I want to go to Luke 11 for just a moment And Luke 11 is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And the disciples, it says in the Scripture that the disciples see that Jesus, he's praying in a certain place at a certain time, and they approach Jesus with a request. And that request is this, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. I want you to notice that the disciples are asking Jesus how to pray, and they're not asking him how to evangelize, even though that's good. They're not asking him how to cast out demons, and they're not even saying, Jesus, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, notice Jesus' response in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. It says this, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. I've underlined that for you. Just as John taught his disciples, he said to them, when you pray, say, here's the first word, church, Father, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And I'm going to stop right there. We don't need to read the rest of that because we have Matthew's version that we're focusing in on this morning. But church, let me ask you a question. What was the first word that came out of Jesus's mouth? Father. Yeah, it was Father. Father. Father, This was actually quite significant because the ancient Jews would have known God as sovereign creator. They would have known him as mighty and all-powerful. He's omniscient, right? All-knowing and omnipotent, the all-powerful God. But to call him father, that was like revolutionary. That was incredibly different. This was amazing because the first part of Jesus's focus Here in the Lord's Prayer, I want you to notice this, is the who of prayer. Now listen, it's helpful to learn the what of prayer, right? I mean, it's helpful to learn what we should pray. It's helpful to learn why we should pray and maybe how we should pray. And even when we pray, those are all very, very important things. But I want you to notice here that Jesus, when he begins to teach his disciples how to pray, He begins with the who of prayer. And here's what I want to say. Until we know the who of prayer, prayer can just become obligatory, emotionless, mindless exercise that is separated from the heart. We must first know the who of prayer. Because when we recognize God as our Father, here's what happens. Things get personal. Things get personal. So let me say this from the get go. Jesus reminds us that the who of prayer is even more important than the what of prayer. How do we know this? We know this because this is Jesus' starting point. He starts with the who. He says, Father. He doesn't start with what you need. It doesn't start with what you're begging for. He starts with the who. Be reminded, church, of who you're talking to, who you're speaking to. Listen, I want to remind you, we're not just relating to some cosmic being, transcendent, far above and beyond us, a life force. Some people think God is a life force. That is not correct. That's not what the Bible teaches. God is a person. He has a personality. He's a a person. And more so, furthermore, listen, God is a father. In the scripture, Jesus says this, he's a good father. Because some of you are like, well, my earthly father was a piece of trash. But God is a good father. He will not abandon you. He would not forsake you. He would not become an alcoholic. He would not abuse you. He would not turn his back on you like maybe your earthly father has done. He would not run away when things get hard. He would not forsake his responsibility in caring for you. No, he is the perfect good father. Yeah. Jesus says this in Matthew seven eleven. If you then, all of us, Though you are evil, Jesus calls us evil. Thanks, Jesus, right? Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more? That is the key phrase there. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Leave that up there for just a moment. How much more will your Father who is in heaven, listen, give good gifts To those who ask him. I love this because even though we are fallen in our humanity, we still understand to some degree, not perfectly, but to some degree what a good father is, right? We still get that to some degree. We understand this, that a good father cares for his wife and his children. A good father provides. A good father protects his children and his wife. A good father serves his family. We, we understand these things. Now we may not practice them as we should at all times, but we know, we do know what it takes to be a good father. Jesus' point is: how much more, listen, God who is He's without sin, He's without blemish, He is completely good, completely whole, how much more will He good give? Will he give good gifts to those who ask him? Even a good earthly father will give gifts to his children. Even a good earthly father will give gifts to his children. So, our heavenly father, who is completely whole, completely good, and all he says and all he does and all he is, he will give us so much more. Now, I want to be clear for all of us this morning. Let me be clear. A good father, our earthly father and our heavenly father, a good father does not give their children everything they want. Amen? You don't, do you believe that? Okay. A good father does not give their children everything they want. Well, why is that? Here's the reason. Because a good earthly father and a good heavenly father has knowledge of things that the child does not have knowledge of. Does that make sense? Fathers, let me speak to you for a moment. You have knowledge that your sons and your daughters do not have knowledge of. You have things that you know that will not be good for them, but they do not know that yet. So you cannot give them everything they want at all times, for to do so would be actually becoming a bad father. That would not be being a good father. Father, there are things that the Father knows, our Heavenly Father knows that would not be good for their children, our children. Can I just tell you, if, 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 if my kids ruled the world, if my kids were in charge of the planet, their daily snack would be a five-pound bag of peanut butter M&Ms, right? <laughs> a lo- along, and all you parents, you get me on this one, along with a giant canister of pretzels, pretzel, or peanut butter filled pretzels, okay? And they would eat until they got sick. At least I know my son would. I don't know my daughter, but my son certainly would do that. God bless him, okay? So listen, I cannot give them what they want. Instead, listen, instead, that's daddy's snack instead, right? It's my snack. (laughs) In all seriousness, I mean, I'm kidding, kind of, okay? In all seriousness, listen, there are things that my children will ask me for, okay? But I know it wouldn't be good for them. I know it wouldn't be good for them. Therefore, in good conscience, listen, I cannot give them everything that they want when they want it. But I'm a father who loves my kids, and I want to give them good things, okay? I want. It's just sometimes the stuff they ask for, I'm like, yeah, it's not going to work out. And they may throw a little bit of a temper tantrum, they may may cry, they may say, oh, worst daddy in the world. But listen, I have their best interests in mind because I have knowledge of things that they do not have knowledge of. Of course, I treat them to sweets at times. Of course, we have fun. We do all those things. But I know, listen, I cannot give them everything they want. Here's the first question, the first question to apply to our lives. Are you approaching God in prayer as your heavenly father? Are you approaching God in prayer as your heavenly father? Do you know him as a father? Or when you pray, you simply think of, you know, the cosmic being, the transcendent, holy one above and beyond all space and time and universe. Listen, he is those things. He is transcendent, but God is also imminent. What does that mean? He is closer to us than our next breath. He is active and working in our lives, in our hearts, and in our world on a daily basis. He's imminent. He's close to you. He desires to be close to you. Can I just say this? He's a good father, and his heart is set on his children. I want to encourage you this week when you pray. I want to just encourage you with one thought. A father's heart is set on his children. Did you know that? You know, sometimes, parents, we need a break from our kids. Amen? Yeah, we take, we take weekends away, and if you're, luck, if, you're, if you're really, really blessed, you get to have weekends away every once in a while just with you and your spouse, and it's incredible. Um, but I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of this. Like the first three hours, I mean, it's a great time, but then we're having dinner, and what do we talk about? My kids, we talk about our kids. And then we say, oh, gosh, I just miss him. We're, we're, what the heck? Like, we just needed a break. You know why, though? Because our, heart, our hearts are set on our children. How much more is our Heavenly Father's heart set on our kids, on us as his kids? Do you know him as a good... Father, are you approaching God in prayer as your heavenly father? I want to go to the next portion of the text in verse number 10. Jesus continues. He says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this prayer presupposes this, church. Jesus presupposes that God's kingdom is not here in its fullness yet. It's here. Yes, it is here, but it's coming at the same time. It's both and. Kingdom theology teaches that the kingdom of God is here, but it's also coming. It's not here in its fullness. We know that because people still get sick of diseases and die, but one day, Jesus will wipe every tear from every eye, no more sickness, no more death. His kingdom will be here in its fullness, in its entirety. Revelation says that new Jerusalem will come from heaven down to the earth. New creation, all things will be made new. So this presupposes the fact that the kingdom is not here in its fullness, and God's will is also not being done perfectly like it is in heaven. I want you to notice this, but I also want to point out something to you. For so many years, I used to think that this was simply about just surrendering to God's will. It is that. It is that, but I think it's actually more, okay? Because I want to encourage you, this is not simply about us going to God and saying, God, there are so many problems in the world right now. I mean, it's just terrible, and there's wars happening, and um, there's poverty, and there's sickness, and um, just so many terrible things. God, I just throw my hands up in the air. Ah, you fix the world. I can't do anything about it. That's actually not what this is talking about here. Yes, it's partly about surrender, 100%. But I've learned recently that this is more of language of, participation. This is actually more of language of participation. It's not just about throwing my hands up and surrender and saying, God, I can't do anything. You do it. Rather, this is what the prayer is about. This is what this portion of the prayer is about. It's rather us saying, God, there's so much I can do, but only in your power. There's so much I can do, but only in your power. This is the idea that God wants to get something done in you through you, in me, and through me. And collectively, as the church, God can do amazing things when we gather, when we give, when we love, when we serve, when we do all of it together and not just as separate islands unto ourselves. Satan wants division, but the effectiveness diminishes greatly when we're off on an island unto ourselves. Oftentimes, we think we can do better, but it's not. The case. God wants to do something in you and through you, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why He's given you His Spirit, His power, His name, His authority. Because God wants to get something done through and in you. Of course, ultimately, we know God is the one to make things happen, but we, the church, we as individuals, we have a part to play in it in the meantime. We have a part to play in it in the meantime. Author and pastor Rich Velotis has said this, that this part of the Lord's prayer is not a prayer of resignation, but of participation. So here's the question for us to apply to our lives. Question number two is this, how can my life make a difference in the world today? How can my life make a difference in the world today? A lot of us in our zeal when we're young in the the Lord, and this is not to knock on your zeal. When you're young, but a lot of us in our zeal, when we're younger, we're like, I'm gonna do these great exploits for God. And I love the heart of that. Trust me, I, I love that heart. I, I promise you, I do. I promise you, I cheer that on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna do this. And that's, oh man, that's awesome. And I cheer those people on. But I've come to discover as I'm getting older now, um, I've come to discover that the great feats of God are found in the really small acts of kindness. Like it's just the real small acts of kindness to a stranger. It's the buying the cup of coffee for someone. It's the listening to the coworker who's having a really hard day, and you pull her aside and say, hey, you don't have to tell me everything that's going on, but can I just take 45 seconds to pray with you? It's the words of encouragement that you will give someone today as you go pick up your kids in the children's area, as you walk to your car, as you pray with the prayer team, those are the great acts. And when we do that, listen, we're not just throwing up our hands and saying, God, I can't do anything. You fix it. We're actually saying, God, I want your kingdom to come in and through me. I think this is what Jesus is partly referring to here in the Lord in the Lord's Prayer. How can my life make a difference in the world today? Part number three, and we're going to move on to verse 11 and 12. Jesus says this, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. We're asking God to meet our daily needs. We're asking God to meet our daily needs. This, of course, harkens back to Exodus chapter 16 in the Old Testament. This is worth taking the five minutes that it will take for you to read that chapter. You can do it later on tonight. Read Exodus chapter 18. This is actually Jesus'. Looking back on that and then bringing it forward into the New Testament. This is why the Old Testament is not just old and we don't have any purpose for it. You can't accurately understand the New Testament until you understand the Old Testament. And so here Jesus is referring back to Exodus 16, the the nation of Israel. God promised them that he would meet their needs every single day. And the way that he would do this is that when they were in the wilderness, God would rain down heaven, this bread, bread from heaven, manna from heaven. And so they were instructed to go out every single morning and they would gather the manna. But do you remember the instructions from God were very, very, very specific. The Lord said this, do not gather more than you need. Okay, just enough for that day. And then on Fridays, he would say, gather twice as much because on Saturday, Sabbath, there's rest. No manna will fall on that day. But listen, other days of the week, what happens to the children of Israel, they're like, oh, I don't know if there's going to be enough. This is what God's people often do. I don't know. We're going to start hoarding, right? And they start gathering more and, right? <laughs> I'm going to buy 70 rolls of toilet paper because I don't know if there's going to be enough, right? It's like, Thank you to the person who bought 700 rolls. Awesome. I have none to choose from now at Walmart. Wonderful. Thank you. Right? Right? We're all so afraid there's not going to be enough. It's like, ah! panic sets in. I, I, I get it. I get it. But listen, can I just tell you the scripture is entirely counterculture? It's like, no, no, no. Feed into the lies of the world. God's already made the promise I'm going to provide for you your daily needs. And you're like, well, I need toilet paper. Oh, God. It's like, I got you. I got you. I got you. Right? And so listen. What happened when the Israelites would collect more than they needed? It would rot. Yeah. (laughs) It would be full of maggots. You can read it yourself. And they couldn't even eat it. It just spoiled. And it went to waste. And God was like, I told you, what are you trying to do by hoarding? Don't do it. I promise you, I'll take care of you every single day. And so Jesus is really essentially relaying the same message to his disciples today. I'm going to take care of your daily Needs. We can pray for our daily needs. Let's keep going in verse 12 and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a touchy subject forgiveness. Here in Jesus' prayer, we're praying for the forgiveness of our sins with the understanding that we ourselves have also been forgiven by Christ. We've been forgiven by God through Jesus because of Jesus' sacrifice not because of how good we are, not because of how many good deeds we've done in the past, solely because of what Jesus has done at the cross. This is why we should all sing, O oh, praise the name of the Lord our God, O oh, praise his name forever. We should all be singing that line at the top of our lungs. Why? Because we didn't deserve the grace and the mercy we've received. and He gave it to us. And those who believe and trust him fully with their lives receive forgiveness of sins. Not, not those of us who just act good, right, or be nice to others, but those of us who are trusted in Christ. Paul says this in Ephesians 4.32. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And then notice what is underlying church, just as, just as in Christ. God forgave you, just as, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I want to say this, our ability to forgive others is always rooted in the forgiveness we have received from Christ. Our ability to forgive others is always rooted in the forgiveness that we have already received from Jesus. Leave that up there for just a few more moments. This is a shocking statement because, listen, Paul doesn't say here, I think we would expect Paul to say, forgive one another because the other person deserves it. Okay, like, all right, well, I can forgive if that's the case. I'll forgive him if that's the case. Paul doesn't say, forgive the other person because they asked to be forgiven. Because in reality, some people will not ask to be forgiven. In fact, some people will go to the grave and they will not ask to be forgiven. And they may have done you harm, incredible harm. And yet, the option is there for not to just simply, well, I'm not going to forgive him then. Nope. Paul says, forgive just as Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness in our relationships, in our marriages. How many of you guys know marriage? You practice forgiveness a lot, daily basis sometimes, right? No, I keep going. (laughs) I had a thought. I'm going to keep going. (laughs) Resist. Forgiveness in our marriages and our relationships is always rooted in the forgiveness that we've received from Jesus Christ. But when we withhold forgiveness, what we're doing is we're quickly forgetting that we've been forgiven of stuff that we didn't deserve. Right? Jesus bled on the cross. He hung there on that cursed tree as we just sang about for us. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son. For God so loved the world. This is why Jesus says in verse 14 and 15, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Well, that's good news. But what about verse 15? But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins, which is like, wow, that's a tough pill to swallow for some of you perhaps, right? Because you've been holding on to Bitterness. But listen, when you refuse to forgive someone else, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. When you withhold forgiveness, it's like taking the key from the jail cell that you found yourself in and swallowing it. Okay? You're making yourself do the time for someone else's crime. So the next question. Or let me say it like this rather. I want to be clear that we do not earn forgiveness from God when we, when we forgive, okay? Let's be clear. We, we're not earning our forgiveness when we forgive others. For no one can, no one can earn God's forgiveness. Rather, we are giving evidence of our forgiveness when we forgive others, okay? So I'll say it like this. Receiving God's forgiveness motivates forgiveness towards others, right? Receiving God's forgiveness motivates forgiveness towards others. So here's my third question for you that we can apply. Number three, you guys, have we forgiven those who have sinned against us? Have we forgiven those who have sinned against us? It is impossible to go through this life without being sinned against. You're going to be sinned against. You're going to be sinned against inside of the church, okay? But if you hightail and run it out of here every time you're offended with one small little thing, you will be church hopping for the rest of your life. You will not... You will not understand what it means to live in community with imperfect people while you yourself are imperfect. So listen, we must learn this. We must learn how to forgive. We must learn how to talk through things. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. But we must learn to say, that was my bad. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Let's move on. Okay. Awesome. Great. Let's move forward. It's not about who's right. It's about can you forgive someone? Can you be forgiven? Because if you make it into about who's right, you'll be fighting for a lifetime. You might be right. You might be right, okay? You might be wrong. I don't know. But if you make it that, if you make that your focus, you will be arguing and fighting with people for the rest of your life. Because of your pride, you're insisting that you must be right for every situation to turn out the way you want it to be. It just doesn't happen like that in real life. Have we forgiven those who have sinned against us? And I know forgiveness can be really hard. Because maybe you were sinned against in a horrific way, okay? So I want to just say, I'm not diminishing that, but can I invite you today to take steps in the process of forgiving your enemies? Can you take steps? And I know for some of you, it's your fathers, your earthly fathers. For some of you, it's, it's your earthly mother. She was a drug addict. She is a drug addict. She was never there. For some of you, it's a, it's a brother. Can you just begin to take steps in that direction? I'm not promising you that it's going to happen overnight but I am saying that once you open up your heart to the Lord, it's like taking yourself out of that prison cell and finding freedom in Jesus. All right, fourth part of our prayer, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Leave that up there for a few moments. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm guilty of not really praying this way as often as I should. And I um, and I should pray more towards this line than I should, than I do currently. You know, as believers, we believe that evil is not some sort of vague sociological force. Okay, that's like secular culture would call it that, that evil is vague, it's sociological force, okay? But evil's real. In fact, it's so real that Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples, in the book of 1 Peter, Peter describes the devil or Satan like a prowling lion who roars. He's looking for those whom he can devour. He's looking for lives to destroy. He's looking for a way to tear your marriages apart. He's looking for a way to tear your relationship with another brother or sister in Christ apart. He's looking for ways to actively bring division in Radiant Church. He is scheming against your life. I don't want you to be naive about it. I'm not trying to scare you, but don't be naive. Right? Don't be naive. Jesus believed in personified personified evil and he's literally teaching his disciples that every single time that they pray, They should pray against this. They should pray against the enemy. He's also praying or saying that they should pray for what? Deliverance. Deliverance. This is assuming that we will need to be delivered. What does that mean? That's a fancy word for the word saving or rescuing. That we need to pray that we would be rescued from temptation. We would be saved from the evil one. Those little thoughts that come into your mind about someone or that evil thought that's planted in your heart. It turns into a root of bitterness, and then bitterness turns into, guess what? Hatred, and then Jesus, according to the words of Jesus, Jesus says that hatred is the equivalent to murder. Because why? Because sin is a heart issue. It's always a heart issue. It's not just about what you do. It's actually about your heart, and our hearts before Christ are fundamentally sick, fundamentally broken and divided and evil, But in Christ, we experience renewed hearts, renewed hearts that are found in him. So last fall, we did a series on spiritual warfare. And here's what I said. Here's what we learned. There's always something that we can't see behind the things that we can see. So famine, poverty, racism, wars, there's something demonic behind those things. There's something at work behind all of those things. The Apostle Paul teaches us this, that there's always a war behind the war. There's always a war. We see the war in the physical realm. We see the war that we can see with our physical eyes, but there's a war behind that that you cannot see in the unseen realm, and it's a spiritual battle. Why? Because we have a very real enemy. So number four, here's our question. Have we considered our enemy and asked God to keep us from evil? Have we considered our enemy and ask God to keep us from evil, from temptation. If you're a former alcoholic in here, we love you. God bless you. Your prayer should be, God, keep me from the thought that I need another drink. If you're a former drug addict in here, you should be praying, God, keep me from the thought that I need a substance to make myself happy, to feel good. If you're prone to adultery, to sexual sin, to sleeping around, God keep me from lustful thoughts. I'm trying to honor you with my life. If you're prone to gossip to division, God keep my tongue on the rein. May I not talk about all kinds of people behind their backs? God keep me from the, these temptations. Peter says that we should be alert and sober, living with the awareness that we have very real opposition, very real opposition. So here's what we're going to do. Just a couple more minutes, let's review those questions, and then we're going to pray into them for just a moment. Number one, are we, are you approaching God in prayer as your, as your heavenly Father? Do you know him as a good Father? Because remember, a father has his heart set on his children. So when you approach God, you're not a burden to him. He's not asking you to scram. Listen, he wants to be with you. In fact, when you go to God in prayer, he's already there, he's been waiting for you, church. He's been waiting for you, you're his son, you're his daughter if you're found in Christ, and he wants to hear what's on your heart. How big, how little, it doesn't matter, he's a good father. And if you know anything about what it means to be a earthly father, you know how much more is our Father in heaven gonna give us all good things when we ask. It doesn't mean he'll give us everything that we want, and when we want it, because he's sovereign, but it doesn't mean that he has our best interest in mind, Are you approaching God as your father? Number two, how can my life make a difference in the world today? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, my prayer this morning is that your kingdom would first and foremost come through me. So Lord, what is the work that you've called me to? How can your kingdom come through me? Are you praying that prayer? How does it come corporately in the ministry of Radiant Church? You should think about that. Many of you are participating in that, and if you're not, I want to challenge you that you would, that you would, because when you serve, when you love, when you give, you're becoming more like Jesus than anything else. You would do it corporately. How can my life make a difference today? Number three, how or have we forgiven those who have sinned against us Or have we allowed a root of bitterness in our hearts? And that root of bitterness has turned into anger. And that anger has turned into hatred. And that hatred has turned into murder. And it's consuming all of you. It's consuming your daily life, your daily thoughts. You haven't forgiven your ex. You haven't forgiven your ex. He was a slime ball. I get it. He was a scuzz bucket, but you need to forgive your ex. He doesn't deserve it. I know he doesn't. I know he doesn't. He doesn't. You're right. But Jesus forgave. forgave you. Some of you need to forgive your ex-wife. The co-worker that stole money from you, whatever it is, listen, begin to take steps today. I know, its I don't promise it to be easy, but I do promise that God will give you a peace and the strength to be able to do it. Have we forgiven our enemies? Finally, number four, have we considered our enemy and asked God to keep us from evil? God, keep us from the evil one. God, keep me from temptation, Lord. You know I'm prone to this. You know I'm prone to be a gossip. You know I'm prone to be a drama queen. You know I'm prone to be a drama king. You know I'm prone to do this. You know uh, I'm prone to sin this way. God, keep me and my thoughts from evil. Deliver me, God, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory, God. Are you praying strategic prayers? God, protect my children from the evil one. God, protect my spouse from the evil one. God, cover my household with your blessing, with your favor. Are you praying strategic prayers that are offensive prayers? If you've been prone to commit adultery in your head, and your mind, continue to pray, God, keep me from lustful thoughts. Pray these strategic prayers. Listen, these questions, I pray, will be a help to you as you pray each and every day. Let's take a moment. We're going to wrap up now. And let's pray together, and let's just kind of go through these for just a few moments. But if you wouldn't mind maybe bowing your heads this morning. Um, if you're comfortable with it, close your eyes maybe. I want to just pray over you. Father, I pray right now that we would know you as Father. God, that as we approach you in prayer this week, that we would be reminded that you're already waiting for us, that we're not a burden to you, God. Maybe our earthly father never wanted us around, but you want us around. You're a good father. And you already know what we need. So God, would you help us to see clearly an accurate picture of who you are as our perfect, whole, and good heavenly Father. And you're already waiting for us, Lord. You want to be with us more than we want to be with you, Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that. Father, we pray that as we approach you, in prayer, that we would ask, how can our lives make a difference today, Lord? Perhaps tomorrow at work on Monday, perhaps it's just simply a smile, a word of encouragement. The smallest act of kindness can make such a dramatic difference in someone else's life, God. Maybe it is a cup of coffee you buy. Maybe it is just a compliment, Lord. How can our lives be used to make a difference? Lord, remind us, Are there enemies that we need to forgive, Lord? Those who have sinned against us, God. Do not let our hearts be hardened, God, for we know that will lead to a root of bitterness. We know that will destroy the bones in our very body to carry around a living disease called unforgiveness. We don't want that. We want to be set free. We want to be set free. So Father... Show us who we need to forgive. And Lord, and through many tears, God, and many cries and much heartache, Lord, would you help my brothers and sisters forgive those who have committed sins against them, those who have willingly hurt them, those who have used them, those who have talked about them, God, those who have been persecuted at work. Father, help our hearts, for we often withhold forgiveness, for we forget how much we've been forgiven of. And finally, Lord, would you keep us from evil? Would you keep us from temptation? For you know the sins that we're prone to act upon, God. You know us, each and every one of us, God. God, protect our marriages and our families and our children, God. Keep us from evil, Lord. God, may your angels surround our homes, God, at every point, God. Keep us from temptations, God, that will lead to our destruction, Lord, so that we may honor you and follow you, God, and continue to, to love you with our whole hearts, God. Lord, we thank you, God, that Jesus' prayer wasn't just something that we mindlessly recite. but was something for us to take as a pattern into our daily lives. And as we do, God, we change us forever. We change us forever. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you that your heart is set on your kids. Help us to do the same with you, God, and to our earthly kids as well. Lord, bless us as we leave, Lord. Bless us as we leave. We thank you that today was a life-changing event for someone in this room. I feel that. For someone watching online, we thank you for it. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. Let's clap our hands for our king this morning.